I'm Catherine Zox, your social worker with a microphone, and you're listening to The Catherine Zox Show. Joining me today is Faith Alicia. Her book is Do You See What I See? Society's glorification of restrictive eating disorders has led to sobering statistics. 9% of the U.S. population will have an eating disorder in their lifetime, and the affliction spans gender, race, sexual orientation, and socioeconomic groups. Eating disorders are among the deadliest of mental illnesses, second only to opioid overdose. Those caught in the downward spiral of continually obsessing about food, weight, and body image need support to free themselves from this dangerous illness. Those not suffering from an eating disorder believe that saying no to self-destructive behavior should be a no-brainer. But for those seeking recovery, it's a daily struggle. There's no single strategy or silver bullet. Instead, it's a journey of fits and starts. In this workbook, we follow author Faith Alicia's recovery journey in an interactive format that emphasizes a we approach and provides strategies, prompts, and tools for healing and positive change. Welcome to the show, Faith. Nice to have you on. Oh, thank you. I'm so grateful to be here. All right. Well, it's, it's real, the statistics are startling, right? I don't know if they, I mean, this has been going on for a long time. I mean, or sobering and startling. 99% of the U.S. population will have an eating disorder in their lifetime. Um, and this is, uh, it, it seems to me that it's even, uh, it's, it's getting worse. In the, uh, the, the problem is getting worse. It's more widespread. Um, tell me, is this true or not? No, I agree with you. And the sad part is, I don't think eating disorders get the attention they deserve. You know, we speak about addiction and alcoholism, you know, that's become more acceptable to speak about. But eating disorders are still, from what I've experienced, it's still kind of shameful, and we don't really talk about it. And I, you know, that excels the problem because we have to talk about it. We have to create awareness. People, you know, we, we need support. This recovery cannot be done in isolation. And when it's not talked about, you know, I ended up feeling like, well, nobody understands. Nobody feels like this and I'm all alone. So who can I reach out to? Because, you know, people that I, well, people within my immediate family would be like, well, just eat. Like, I don't understand what's wrong. And it's it's so much deeper than that. So it's hard for people who don't experience, you know, symptoms of eating disorders to really understand just how brainwashing and consuming and possessive they can be. I was going to ask, why do you think that, is it because eating disorders are associated with mental illness and uh, self-control and all of those kinds of things. And so people are, um, is that why they don't, it, it becomes shameful. They don't want to say that I have a daughter or a son. Usually it's a daughter uh, who has an eating disorder because she could just, if she wants to eat, she could eat and she's not eating. Like you said, it's like, it, it's, it, they don't understand the, the, uh, I guess the, parameters of the whole of the problem um they don't understand it at all so i mean i have a couple friends who i know their their daughters have eating disorders but as you say they don't talk about it i mean you uh, and it's something that i'd like to address i've 
tried, but um, very often they will back off because they don't want to talk about it. And you're right. They would talk about a drug addiction more than they'll talk about an eating disorder or talk about depression or talk about a myriad of other uh, mental health problems. Yeah, when I think it comes to, you know, so I'm a mom of three, and my daughter actually developed an eating disorder in high school. So I can speak as both somebody recovering from an eating disorder as well as a parent. And, you know, I don't think any parent likes to admit that there's something wrong with our kids, which nobody is perfect. You know, everyone has something. I always tell my kids that behind every garage door, there's a family and there's something going on. You know, whether people hide it or... You know, they just don't talk about it freely. What I can say about eating disorders is not addressing the issue enables the disorder to grow. And I tend to view my eating disorder like an addiction, just coming from a background, you know, a family of addiction and alcoholism, that same impulsive, compulsive behavior. It's very secret, very manipulative, very conniving. And the more I got into it, the bigger it became. So in a sense, not talking about it, it's kind of like enabling because, uh, I, I, you know, just, just leave her be. And yes, I had to come to my own realization that I needed help. You know, people could say to me, Faith, you know, you're looking this or whatever. Until I was ready to have change in my life, I don't care what anyone said to me, I wasn't going to do it because it was a conscious choice to get healthier for myself. But you say that no two know, eating disorders yeah, yeah. are alike and individuals need their own recovery strategies. So I'm yes. going to ask you, given, tell us about you because your eating disorder is different than somebody else's eating disorder, as you're saying, and the strategies for recovery would be different. So when did your start and what I would say, what is unique to your situation? So I usually don't like to talk about specific behaviors, and the reason I don't is because we can look at the DSM criteria for the different eating disorders, and people could look at it and say, well, you know, somewhat of a denial. Well, I don't have that, so I don't have an eating disorder. And I think if it is affecting your life, you know, interfering with your daily functioning, your thinking, then it's something to address. So I think that I did have dysfunctional, not eating, just outlook on my body that wasn't to the point of impairing my functioning up until I had kids. But after my third child, and it's rare for someone, you know, for it to really kick in later. Usually we see it, you know, in teenagers and young adults. But for me, it it kicked in, you know, I had postpartum depression after my third child. And I also have an anxiety disorder, and the anxiety was out of control, you know, just dealing with a newborn again. There was eight years between our first two and our third. So it was like starting all over again, plus, you know, I manage my husband's office, and just the life stress and trying to control everything was overwhelming beyond belief. And I guess the anxiety just somehow morphed into the eating disorder and it just, my body became my focus. How much I weighed, a number on a scale defined my worth. And now I can say that, you know, by focusing so much on the exterior, 
prevented me from really going deep to the feelings because my eating disorder was a symptom of what's going on underneath. Similar to how, you know, an addict or an alcoholic might use a substance to numb them. I don't feel that my eating disorder numbed my feelings, but I do feel that it distracted me from my feelings. So if I'm so focused on this, I don't have to take a look at myself and how I'm feeling inside of, well, I'm incapable of handling all this. I'm not worthy enough. I'm not good enough. And, you know, all that comes with shame, and it's just those, those core beliefs of not being able or good enough is what it came down to. But focusing on the behavior, control? I didn't have to look at that. Uh, what about control? Like uh, feeling out of control with, as you say, your third child. Out of control. Eight years since yes. you had a baby and all of that stuff comes. I can, you know, identify with some of that. I had a third baby after six years and it's like, a, what did I do? And, right. uh, and so you take control over, you can control your body. That's the one thing, that focus. And um, right. I even know, I, I sometimes do that myself. It's like when things are, um, you know, feeling, I'm feeling out of control. Well, at least stay on my diet, make sure I'm the right weight, and I have control over that. So exaggerating right. that, yeah, it's, um, and I think it is very common today in our society, uh, especially for young girls. Um, but, yeah, and then, then that gets out of control. The, the controlling of yeah. your, yeah, of, of your food. So then what happened? You became aware of what you were doing or how this was impacting your life. I, you know, I also, you know, there's codependency issues just coming from a family of addiction and all that. And I think I lived most of my life trying to, I have to please everyone, I caretaker, I have to excel at everything I do, perfectionism, because I need your acceptance so badly because I didn't accept myself, and I, I didn't understand that until I really did inner work. But all of my worth and value came from validation outside myself. So if you reject me, it's a personal rejection. It's me. It has nothing to do with you. I mean, now I know it's, you know, for whatever reason, it's about them, but you know, for me, it's a personal attack. Why don't they like me? Why aren't I good enough to be part of that group or whatever? So the control is, well, this kid needs help with this, you know, class or whatever. So, well, I can't control how they do in school, but I, I can study with them and do all that. And the dinner and all of these things outside of my control, because I am powerless over everything outside myself other than how I act and react. So when I'm trying to micromanage everyone's lives, kind of like being a puppeteer and holding the strings, because I, I think that's how I lived, that I believed that I had that power to hold everyone's little puppet strings and move them about because I had to make their lives easier. But what was happening is I was on the back burner. I had no idea that I even had needs. I didn't know what I wanted. So I was just lost, you know, in the back of the line because everyone else was first in line. If they're okay, I'm okay. And that's not true because I have to be okay so that the other things, I'm not so reactionary to them and I don't have to control them as much because I can't. I just can't. I can only 
take care of myself and then how I look at things and, and view things, my perspective. But I come first today, and I was always last. So now you're talking about self-care, right? Yes. I'm assuming that now you, you come first today, and you used to come last. Yes. Um, so what does that self-care entail what, for you? Self-care was very difficult for me to implement because, you know, I felt guilty. Well, that's selfish. You know, I can't, how can I sit and take a half hour to meditate or journal, whatever, because what if the kids need me? And when I first started, they would come in, and I'm also a romance writer. So if I'm in the middle of writing, so for that I would say, listen, if mom is writing like I'm in my place, you can't come in and just interrupt. But that was the only thing where I set a boundary. Everything else, okay, I'm meditating. Sure, if you need me, I'll stop. But that's not okay. So it's telling my kids, if you see mom meditating, and my husband as well, like, please respect. I will come out when I'm done, but please don't disturb me. It's setting time for myself to journal. You know, I have a therapist that I work with. I also attend Codependency Anonymous, so... I attend my weekly meeting, and we also, you know, do step work. I have, you know, another, like a reading group that I do with some women. So it's all of these things that fill me because I had a therapist that once said I was like the overflowing coffee cup. I was. I woke up in the morning, and the coffee is just pouring out the sides. Well, I'm overflowing, yet inside I felt empty. So I have to fill that inside, and it's with things I enjoy, like writing romance, like meditating, because for me that helps just kind of bring me centered and a place of just inner quiet. Mindfulness, I did the, you know, the program, the Mindfulness-Based Stress Reduction Program, which really taught me to bring myself into the now, because my mind is a hamster wheel, especially with anxiety that just... I will create a story out of nothing and go with it where I can be angry at someone when nothing's even happened because my mind created a false story. So rewinding that, I can stop myself now from jumping on that habit trail. And then mindful self-compassion, I took that course because I had to learn to be kind to myself. I never would treat anybody else the way I've treated myself. I would be like, oh, my God, I would never speak to my children the way I spoke to myself and didn't even realize I was speaking to myself that way. So you're talking about faith. You're talking about, you mentioned boundaries, because I think boundaries are critical, emotional boundaries as well as physical boundaries. And I think you've mentioned both of those when you're writing your romance novel or your novels or you're meditating. You physically can't be there. I need a boundary. I need to separate. Or the emotional boundaries, like, of t- I need to feel good about myself and um, not always trying to make everyone else happy. But so, but you also mentioned that you mentioned that you manage your husband's medical practice. Now that's a big deal, I'm assuming, and manage three kids. So that's the other side of it, like keeping that in perspective. Or how do you do that? So managing my husband's office. So interestingly, he's a plastic surgeon. And I I was in the office full time. And when I first went into treatment, it was very hard for me because at the beginning I was so body conscious. 
So, you know, you have all these women coming in and, you know, wanting to improve themselves or whatever, and I had a hard time, more because I was so focused on body that now I'm looking at their bodies. So I had, you know, so boundary number one was I work virtually, I log on to the office computer, and I manage like 95% of my work I can do virtually now, and that's just healthier for me. You know, that's the children, you know, as moms, a lot of working moms, we have to juggle everything. When I went to my first Codependency Anonymous meeting, they were talking about boundaries. I honestly asked, what's a boundary? I mean, I was in my 40s, and what's a boundary? I had no clue. And now I've learned I never had boundaries. You could walk all over me. I will people please until I'm completely exhausted because I can't hurt anyone's feelings. God forbid I make someone, you know, say no and then get feel rejected. But the boundaries come to saying what is good for me because if it's too much, I have to say, you know what, I'm really sorry. I, I can't do that. This was a very difficult learning process to learn how to set boundaries, such as when mom is meditating, you know, unless it's an emergency, you have to give me time. My daughter will text me, you know, she's in college. Mom is doing this right now. What, you know, is it an emergency? Because always, obviously, emergencies with kids come first. (laughs) Can I call you back? So it's just, it's respecting my time is what it is that I deserve, just like they deserve to play their video games and do their thing, I deserve to do the things that fill me. So when I'm doing that, I deserve respect for that. And when I'm done, I will be happy to help you with, you know, whatever you need. And that's you know, what it, it comes down so to. It sounds so simple, it's, but it's so it's important. Not. And it happens. And it, and it's some, it happens. You wake up in the morning, and it, that's what it's all about, being able to just to 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 respect these boundaries for yourself. I mean, and it happens all day long, every single day. Um, I'm assuming that given all, you know, you talk about the groups that you belong to and that you that would, would advise or a, a person really can't go and recover from an eating disorder by themselves. I'm, a, no. I'm making that assumption. They need help. No, so question, they need help. What, they need help. And you've obviously sought help in a lot of different areas. What about your relationship with your husband? How does that fit in? You know, it's codependency and all those kinds of things. Oh, but, boy. Yeah. Is he an enabler? Just, yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's just a joy in itself. Um, I'm very grateful that my family is very supportive. Growing up a child of an alcoholic, I was not told my father was an alcoholic until I was 16 when I saw him drunk and just acting insane. Yet I had seen his behavior of being on a dry drunk or whatever and just thought my father's crazy. He's a rape. I was just petrified of my father and I would hide in my bedroom. So for me, it was very important that if I have an issue, we get help for it. And it was, I wanted my kids to know mom has an issue, but I'm going to get help for it. Just like when my daughter, you know, with her whole eating disorder, we get help. We don't hide it under the rug and just pretend it'll go away because it doesn't. So I'm very open with the kids. 
just about what I'm going through so that they see, well, mom's trying to get help. Because when we have an issue, we, we get help for ourselves. And that's so important. It was so hard for me to reach out and ask for help. My husband, you know, at the beginning, he kept saying, but I didn't want to hear it. And for me, in my mind, it was, well, if I get to this weight, then I have a problem. But the the problem was, when I got to that weight, then it became a different weight. Well, when I get to this weight, and then I put a final weight. When it got to that, I need help. Well, it did, because eating disorders just get progressively worse. They just don't go away. They just don't go away without help and support. So that's when I decided I need help. I didn't want to die. I have children. I love my children. And I couldn't fight this beast of an eating disorder. I just, I couldn't do it by myself. So seeing a therapist who specializes in eating disorders, a dietitian, you know, also a psychiatrist, that's like what a lot of us in eating disorder recovery call it, the treatment team. So just rule out, you know, because there's a lot of comorbidity with eating disorders such, you know, depression, anxiety, and just going to support groups, realizing that I'm not alone. Obviously, and, you know, I always use this, like, terminally unique. Nobody feels the amount of anxiety I feel. Nobody feels as bad as I could feel. But if that was true, then I would have been the only person in treatment. I would have been the only person in a support group. I would be my therapist's only client. So we're not alone. It's just hard to take that first step of reaching out for help. But once you do, it's like, oh, my God, thank God. Like somebody understands. You, they get it. Because my husband, as much as supportive as he could be, he doesn't get it. Like he would say like, he would actually say, like, like that is, like, crazy thinking because I would verbalize, like, what was going on, what the eating disorder saying. Yes, it was crazy thinking, but I couldn't get out of the habit trail. Today I can distinguish between the voices, and I, you know, okay, thought I don't really feed into it. It just, like, that's where the mindfulness comes in. Okay, it's just a thought, and it'll go away, and if it doesn't, you know, then I have to check in and say, okay, so something's going on within, which is making the eating disorder voice try to help me escape or distract from it. So that's when I consciously have to say faith, and I do. I go through my whole process of let's go inside what's going on, because something underneath is going on that's making the eating disorder try to take me away from it so I don't have to feel it. But that well, doesn't now you've work anymore. This book and you, you have the book, and this is going to help other people, obviously, which I think is yes. really, uh, obviously, hopeful, a very, yes. a very positive thing. We have a couple minutes left, so I want to make sure that they can do read the book, Do You See What I See? Faith Alicia. Um, that's the title of the book. So, Faith, give us a website and or websites to go to for more information about you and the book. Yes, my website is faithalicia.com, and it's E-L-I-C-I-A, and I do list all the different criteria of eating disorders, but I just say if it's affecting your life in a negative way and just impacting you, it's something to look at, because I don't think we all fit in a box of, oh, I meet every, every criteria. It's not like that, and that's where I say our eating disorders are different, and so are our recoveries. 
So my book offers just lots of tools that have and have not worked for me because one tool that didn't work for me might work for someone else. So it's this nine-year journey of recovery I've been on, and I do look at it as a journey. There's no finish line. I'm just on a self-discovery journey. It's different things that have worked for me, but also putting myself out there so that people can read that, oh, well, somebody else feels like that too. I don't fluff well, it. Well, thank you. Say, I, I oh, everything's great Because we have 30 minutes, no, left. No, no. 30 minutes left. 30 minutes. 30 minutes. 30 seconds left. 30 seconds. Not, okay. You, yes. You put yourself out there with your book, but you've also done it on the show today, and we really appreciate that too as well. Thank well, you well, so thank much. thank you. Yeah. I also have on YouTube Faith Alicia, so I have put like a video of talking myself through when the eating disorder voice is loud on kind of just walking through the process. So that, you know, hopefully would be helpful for someone who, instead of feeding into the voice, like kind of how I am able to walk through it. So I'm hopeful that that could help someone as well. And then I'm on Facebook at Faith Alicia. Great. Thank you so much. Thank you. I appreciate it. And I'm hopeful that that we can reach out and create more awareness for eating disorders because there needs to be. Absolutely. I'm Catherine Zox, your social worker with a microphone, and you've been listening to The Catherine Zox Show. Planning. 